Please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this Lord's Day. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. <clears throat> Once again, Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it, and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel all came to pass. <clears throat> A promise that God makes to his people is not ended just because he keeps his promise on a specific occasion. If there's no time, time stamp on a promise, we should expect that promise to continue until God clearly ends the promise. For example, if God promises that he will supply all our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus as he does in Philippians 4.19, does that promise end once God supplies our need on one particular occasion? Or does the promise continue? <clears throat> if God promises to give us wisdom, if we ask for wisdom in faith, as he does in James 1.5, should we think his promise is finished once he gives us wisdom in a particular and specific situation or does that promise, not having a time stamp on it, continue to be a promise unto us that we can avail ourselves of? If God promised Abraham and his seed in an everlasting covenant, as he did in Genesis 17, 7, to give a land as an everlasting possession, as he did in Genesis 17, 8, should we think that God's promise has ended and no longer applies because he kept his word and gave the land to his people Israel at the time of Joshua? I would say no, we shouldn't think that the promise is ended because God kept his promise to give his people the land at the time of Joshua because there's no stamp, time stamp upon that promise. It was given as an everlasting possession. You see, dear ones, where scripture makes clear that a promise has 
come to an end, we have warrant not to expect that the promise is going to continue be, to be extended. It's not going to be repeated. For example, the promise of the Messiah coming to die for his people in Isaiah 53. We don't expect Jesus and that promise to continue uh, past the time of Jesus that he's going to come and die again and again and again. Hebrews 9.28 says that he came once to die for sins. Timestamp. Once. But where scripture places no timestamp on a promise, I suggest neither should we. Neither should we. God's promises, dear ones, are gracious treasures given to God's people. And we must neither presume upon them, and by that I mean we should not act as though whether we trust in the promise or don't trust in the promise, God is going to fulfill his promise. That's presumption to think that God is going to keep his promise if we don't trust and believe in the promise. But neither should we at the same time cast the promise away when the Lord himself has not cast the promise away. Well, we continue today to consider three final objections <clears throat> that have been offered against the land yet being a promise to be realized in the future to a converted nation of Israel. The first uh, objection from this, in our sermon this Lord's Day is this. Scripture tells us that the promise of the land to Abraham and his seed was realized at the time of Joshua. Thus, there is no future promise of the land to be realized. And again, we read Joshua 21 verses 43 through 45, and that would be, again, the text for such an objection. God did keep his promise. Therefore, we do not look for the promise to be fulfilled beyond that time, and certainly not into our future. Well, as we look at these verses, Joshua 21, they're looking back from the time of Joshua roughly 500 years to the time that God called Abraham out of Ur, the Chaldees, and made a, a gracious covenant with Abraham, an everlasting covenant in Genesis 17:7. The Lord promised to make Abraham the father of many nations, to bless all nations through his seed, that is, Jesus, and to give him and his posterity the promised land as an everlasting possession in Genesis 17.8. That promise of the land continued after Abraham 
continued to Isaac, continued to Jacob. It continued while the 12 tribes were in Egyptian bondage. The promise still was true after the time of Abraham. The promise continued after Israel was delivered from Egyptian bondage. It continued while they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And Israel then saw God's promise of the land realized under Joshua as Israel battled the Canaanite nations for the next seven years and by God's power and mercy defeated all of those nations. Finally, after 500 years, Israel possessed the promised land as God had promised to Abraham. Dear ones, the Lord was ever faithful to his promise. Even if it was hundreds of years in coming to pass, <clears throat> even the sins and the weaknesses of Abraham, which the scripture speaks of, of Isaac and Jacob and Moses, and even the rebellion of Israel in the wilderness did not end the promise of God. Israel's rebellion, after being delivered out of Egyptian bondage, the rebellion against God certainly delayed God's promise for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness while God was separating the, the wheat from the chaff and raising up a new faithful generation to serve him and to be faithful to him and to inherit the promise. God, all that time, kept his promise, as he always does and as he must do, because it is impossible for God to lie or to be unfaithful to his promise. God's faithfulness to keep his promise is celebrated in Psalm 105, verses 8 through 11, where the psalmist says, He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, Unto thee will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance. <clears throat> Dear ones, there is no question that God kept his promise made to Abraham and to his seed in giving to Israel at the time of Joshua the land, even as we have just read in Joshua 21. Verses 43 through 45, there's no question God kept his word. He was faithful. The question, however, that yet remains is this. Did God's promise of the land to Israel end once Israel possessed the land under Joshua? Or did God's promise continue thereafter? 
Well, that's what we want to do briefly in the next few minutes, is to briefly survey what the scripture teaches. For those who say that God kept his promise and that there therefore is no future promise because God kept his promise to Joshua, we would assume that we would thereafter not hear that promise repeated again and again and again. But to the contrary, we find the promise repeated again and again and again, which tells us, yes, God kept his promise in giving the land to Joshua, but the promise was not fully realized because he kept on promising and he kept on giving and issuing through his prophets that same promise. First of all, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And here we see in the verses we're about to look at, we're, we see here the basically the paradigm uh, as it relates to the land and how will the Lord bless them in the land and how will the Lord curse them from possessing or from inhabiting and dwelling in the land. Verses 1 through 5, Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 5. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee. And thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee. And shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity, and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out unto the uttermost parts of heaven from thence, will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from hence or thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And then verses 19 through 20 of the same chapter. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice that thou mayest cleave unto him. For he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So if they are dispersed out of the land because they have fallen away from God, the Lord here says, when they... Repent. When they come to the Lord, I will restore them. I will bring them back to the land to dwell there in safety. The land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That same land. 
That land which was promised to them by God is an everlasting possession. It was promised to them, but it is only enjoyed by them. This is key. It was promised to them, but it is only enjoyed by them through faith and obedience. They're not going to enjoy the land if they're in rebellion, if they live contrary to God's word and his will, they will be dispersed. They will be separated from the land as a land in which they dwell in safety and in peace. So as I said, these inspired words of Moses become a paradigm of Israel's history. Safety, peace, in the promised land when Israel trusted and obeyed the Lord. Whereas war, famine, pestilence, and dispersion from the land when Israel disbelieved and rebelled against the Lord. So just because Israel is dispersed from the land, just because Israel disbelieves because Israel becomes rebellious, God is saying the promise to his people has not ended because when they turn in faith and obedience, I will restore them to the land. That's the promise that God makes. First Kings, turn with me to First Kings chapter 8, verse 56. We're moving from Moses. We've looked at what we read at the time of Joshua. So moving from Moses, now we, we come to the time of Solomon, where he is dedicating the temple to the Lord and offers this prayer. This is about 500 years after the time of Joshua, uh, where it said that the Lord kept his promise he gave them the land. Does the promise continue beyond that time? Well, in 1 Kings 8, 56, this is what we find in Solomon's prayer. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. Not one promise has failed. So again, if we look at just a few chapters before that, this involves the land as well. 1 Kings 4.24, we read, speaking of Solomon's dominion, he had dominion over all the region on this side, the river from Tifsah, even to Azah, over all the kings on this side, the river, and he had peace on all sides round about him. God, once again, kept his promise. In the reign of David and Solomon, God brought them into a safe situation there in the land because they as a land, as a people, through faithful kings, served the Lord. They obeyed him. <clears throat> In 
Turn with me next as we continue this survey, very brief survey through the scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7. This is about a hundred years after Solomon had prayed in, his, in the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8.56, so 2 Chronicles 27, this is King Jehoshaphat, uh, who is also praying, calling upon the Lord, uh, because uh, there is a massive enemy army that is coming against them from Moab uh, and Ammon, and the Lord, as a result, brings Jehoshaphat to the place to see that he needs to call upon the Lord to be safe. They're obviously in the land of Judah. They are in the land. But the Lord calls us, whether we're in the land or not in the land, to call upon him. This Jehoshaphat does. And so Verses, let's just read verses 5 through 7. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before a new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? Forever. Gave it this land to thy friend Abraham forever. He's calling upon the Lord to help them as these enemies attack them in the land which God gave to them forever. Solomon here clearly stated that God kept his promise, even though it's long time after the time of Joshua, where God kept his promise to Joshua and Israel at that time. This is hundreds of years later, and God is still keeping his promise concerning the land that he gave to Abraham forever. Next, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 7. We go to the prophets. This is just a brief survey. There are so many verses, it was hard to narrow it down uh, to something that I could could use just for one sermon, but uh, there are so many verses that could be appealed to with regard to God's promise of the land throughout uh, history. So Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 3 through 7, so this is about 250 years after the time of King Jehoshaphat. <clears throat> we read... Once again, Jeremiah 7, 3 through 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, 
And I will cause you to dwell in this place, that is, the land uh, in which they're living. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Don't trust in, and just say, We have the temple, we're safe. We can be rebellious, we can do whatever we want, but we have the temple, so God's going to protect us from the Babylonians who are conquering the world at that time. They were trusting not in the Lord, but in the temple. Verse 5, For if ye truly amend your ways and your doings, in other words, if you trust me, if you obey me, if you're faithful to me, if ye truly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Then, if you are faithful, if you trust me, if you obey me, I will cause you to dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Israel of old, forever and ever. So we see the promise, certainly, of the land once again. This is before they are taken, Israel or Judah is taken into captivity, into Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah before that time says to them, repent, turn to the Lord, and the Lord will allow you, will keep you in the land that he gave to your forefathers. He'll get, keep you in that same land. He will, he will keep his promise to you in, if you are faithful to him, that land that he gave forever and ever. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse, verses 1 through 5. Jeremiah 11, verses 1 through 5. The same basic setting before the captivity. Jeremiah is prophesying on behalf of the Lord. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear ye the words of this covenant. And speak unto the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice and do them according to all which I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may perform the oath which I have sworn unto your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. Then answered I and said, So be it, O Lord. As it is this day, God is keeping his promise to us, giving to us this land many, many years, hundreds of years after the time of Joshua. The promise certainly was kept by God at that time, but the promise continues. Ezekiel, 
chapter 28. So Ezekiel is a prophet of the captivity. Jeremiah was prophesying uh, in Jerusalem. He was not taken to Bab Babylon in the captivity. Whereas Ezekiel, his prophecy uh, is within Babylon. And so this is after the, uh, the people of Judah have been taken into captivity. We read in Ezekiel 28, verses 25 through 26. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord God, when I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, then shall they dwell in their land that I have given to my servant Jacob. And they shall dwell safely therein and shall build houses and plant vineyards. Yea, they shall dwell with confidence when I have executed judgments upon all those that despise them round about them. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. And so here again, uh, when uh, they, Israel turns unto the Lord, when uh, God promises once again during the captivity to restore them to the land that he has given to his servant Jacob, a part of the, the covenant of the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he will restore them to that land. God is still fulfilling his promise long after the time of Joshua. Ezekiel 37, this is the last one that I will share with you. But this one I needed to share because this promise of restoration to the land which God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the fathers, this promise is fulfilled clearly in the Messianic age, after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we will see. Ezekiel 37, verses 21 through 25 and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes to do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children, forever, and my servant David shall be their prince 
forever. That speaks of, again, Jesus, the greater David, the messianic king in the line of David who will reign over them. And at that time, they shall dwell in the land, God says, that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. They will dwell there, their children, their children's children, forever. During the messianic age, the promise, even to this present time, we live in the messianic age, the promise even to this time of the land Israel has not been fully realized. It's been realized, it's been fulfilled as God has kept his promise all along, but it has not been fully realized yet. Thus the promise of the land given to Abraham by the Lord and to Abraham's seed was realized, as I said, at the time of Joshua, but it continued to be realized when Israel was faithful to the Lord. God established them in the land when they were rebellious and turned against the Lord. He brought their enemies upon them. Uh, he brought pestilence. He brought war. He dispersed them, led them into captivity. I submit that God's promise presently is not being realized in an unbelieving Israel. Yes, they're in the land. But scripture is very clear. They're in the land presently as God's enemies, according to Romans 11.28. They are not in the land as those who believe and trust in Jesus. They're not in the land as those who have repented and turned to the Lord they are a Christless nation that have rejected Messiah presently. But that's not the way it's going to be forever. For the Lord, as we have noted in various sermons, you know, you need to review the past sermons, that God has a future for Israel in the age of the Messiah as we've seen in this passage in Ezekiel 37, verses 21 through 25, as we've seen in Zechariah chapters 12 through 14, as we've seen in Zechariah chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, as we've seen in Isaiah chapter 19, as we've seen in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 8. Review the sermons. Those are texts that we've looked at that speak of the Messianic age and God's restoration conversion of Israel. And then in the New Testament, as we have looked at particularly Romans chapter 11, the fulfillment of those promises. Paul's even talking about the realization of those promises. Second objection, these next two objections I think will go much quicker, but uh, I wanted to spend the time on that first objection. The second objection today is this. The promised land is part of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, and therefore the promise of land to Israel has ceased, along with a restored temple, priesthood, ceremonies, and holy days of the Old Testament. I, again, uh, gladly acknowledge, as we've 
had a sermon on this, that the promise, the earthly promised land was a type of the heavenly promised land uh, to which Abraham by faith looked to inherit in Hebrews chapter 11. Again, a sermon on that particular text that you can uh, go back to. But I also would remind you that as long as the promise of the earthly promised land to a converted Israel remained and continued and continues even to this day, as long as, again, that promise of an earthly promised land continues, then the type, the antitype, the fulfillment of that ultimately in heaven continues. Only when there is no longer a promise of the earthly promised land to Israel, only when that is ended does it cease to be a type. As long as there is a promise as there was to Abraham, then the type of the heavenly promised land continues. Take away the earthly promise, then the type doesn't exist anymore. Keep the promise, and the type continues. Whether it's to Abraham, whether it's to Jacob, whether it's to David, whether it's to Moses, whether it's to, uh, at the time of Christ, to the apostles, if the promise continues, then the type continues. But that's quite different than saying that the land was part of the ceremonial law. I would submit to you that the land promise was not part of the ceremonial law because the promise made to Abraham preceded the ceremonial law by 500 years under Moses. That's when the ceremonial law was instituted in Mount Sinai about 500 years after Abraham, after the promise was made to Abraham. So the, the promise made to Abraham uh, of, of the land was not a ceremonial promise since the ceremonial law had not even been instituted. Uh, it was not an ecclesiastical promise. It was a national promise to Israel as a nation and therefore Israel as a nation shall inherit that particular promise as was true throughout the Old Testament period as we've already noted. The promise of the land was not one of the ordinances that Paul speaks of in Colossians 2.14 being nailed to the cross. The ceremonies, the, the temple, the priesthood, the ceremonies, the ordinances, the holy days, the sacrifices, those were the ceremonial law that were nailed to the cross. The land promised to Israel, promised to Abraham and his posterity was not a part of the ceremonial law. The last objection. In fact, before I move on, let me simply point this out, that Paul actually argues in three, Galatians 3.17 <clears throat> that the promises made to Abraham don't cease because the law has come. In Galatians 3.17, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, that's the covenant made with Abraham, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. 
So the, the law doesn't change the promise that was made to Abraham, um, uh, the covenant that God made to Abraham. Uh, the law doesn't alter that promise, uh, Paul says. The last objection is this. The promise of the land to Israel is never explicitly mentioned in the New Testament. That means the promise of the land to Israel no longer applies to them. <clears throat> well, again, let me ask you, does God have to repeat a promise from the Old Testament in the New Testament for that promise to continue? Just a couple of examples. <clears throat> in Isaiah 19, God promised a, a particular blessing to the nation of Egypt in the days of the Messiah, that Egypt as a nation would be blessed. Now, I don't find specifically that promise mentioned again in the New Testament. I think it's inferred when Paul talks about the fullness of the Gentile nations coming uh, into the church, the visible church, being grafted into that uh, olive tree, it's inferred, but I don't think it's explicitly stated, and yet I do believe that promise will be fulfilled uh, to Egypt in the future, that God will bring salvation to the nation of Egypt. Likewise, um, there's a promise attached to the second commandment. The second commandment in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And here's the promise. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Again, attached to the second commandment by way of worshiping God according to his will. Worshiping God according to his commandments. I don't find that particular uh, blessing. It's inferred. It's inferred in the New Testament that there's blessing associated with worshiping God as, as, uh, as he commands. And, uh, but this particular blessing stated in this way, I don't find that repeated in the New Testament. And yet I do believe it's, it's a promise that God will fulfill. That those who worship him as he authorizes, as he commands, he'll shower them and succeeding generations with his mercy, with his love. This, this promise is not repeated, and yet I believe, again, it doesn't need to be repeated. If God did not put a time stamp on it, it continues to be a promise to us, even in this particular age. <clears throat> the promise of Israel's national conversion to Jesus Christ and the restoration of the promised land is promised to come in the Messianic age, as we've noted in uh, pa passages we've looked at today, past sermons. This is promised uh, by God in his word, various places, many different places uh, in the scripture. 
These prophecies are grounded in the promise made to Abraham in the everlasting covenant God made with Abraham, and in it is promised a land as an everlasting possession within that everlasting covenant made with Abraham, uh, which, as we've noted today, is repeated, repeated at different times of Israel's history. Paul, I think, says, when he says that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, are irrevocable. I submit to you that among the gifts promised to Israel, because that's the context, he's talking again in Romans 11, uh, verse 29, he's talking about Israel, again as a nation, their calling, but the gifts promised to them would include the gift of the land as well. The promise of the land is irrevocable. Dear ones, God's silence, even in the New Testament, is not an absolute silence. I submit to you again, as we've looked at various passages of, from the New Testament, whether in Romans chapter 11, Matthew 23, 39, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 14 through 16, all these passages, I submit, infer there is coming a national conversion of Israel. And if there be a national conversion of Israel, Israel as a nation must have a land that follows, uh, that they would have then a land, a government, boundaries. What land would it be? The same land that we find promised throughout Israel's history. The same land that he promised when they are converted, when they trust him, when they follow his commandments. Rather than silence in the New Testament, Consider this point very seriously, carefully. Rather than silence in the New Testament being a denial of the restoration, you know, there not being a specific, a specific uh, reiteration of that promise of the land. Rather than silence on that matter being a denial of the restoration of the promised land to Israel, I submit a different way of looking at that, I submit it is rather a confirmation of God's promise. For in a promise made by the Lord to Abraham, an everlasting covenant, that he would grant to them an everlasting possession in the land, silence in the New Testament actually implies consent and agreement and continuation of the promise, not discontinuation of the promise. How many times do, uh, does a couple need to make a promise to one another in order for that promise that they make to one another when they are married to be realized? 
Do they need to continue to repeat the promise and for the, in order for the promise to be uh, that which binds them? Or does the promise, having been made, continue throughout their life? Till death do us part. The promise doesn't have to be repeated. There's no time stamp on the promise. The promise continues. Parents, you promise your children that if they clean the room, that you will reward them. And uh, uh, let's say you do that on a Monday. Do you have to repeat the promise on Tuesday for them to think that that reward continues? Do you have to repeat it? If you didn't place a timestamp on it, if they come to you and say, you know, Dad, Mom, you know, you said that you would reward me for cleaning my room, don't you need to tell them so that they're not anticipating a promise that's not going to be realized, don't you need to say, well, that promise doesn't apply anymore? Don't you need to be clear with them? Or, and if you're not, shouldn't they expect that you will continue to reward them for cleaning the room? If that was the way it was arranged, whenever you clean your room, uh, I'm, I will you know, give you a reward. So likewise, again, the promise God made, an everlasting possession of the land, God doesn't need to continue to repeat it uh, for it to be uh, realized, fully realized. Because again, this uh, promise is not ceremonial, it's not ecclesiastical, it's national. Rather than believing that unless God repeats the promise of the land to a converted Israel in the New Testament, there is, and there is no promise to be realized. We ought to rather believe just the opposite, that unless God revokes the promise of the land to a converted Israel, there yet remains a promise of the land to be realized to a converted Israel. And that's what Paul says. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance in Romans 11.29. So those will end our consideration of objections. Next Lord's Day, God willing, we will focus upon whether there will be a rebuilt temple, priesthood, sacrifices uh, in uh, God's promise for the future, and we'll uh, explore that by God's grace. Um, but in closing, let me offer to you this brief, these two brief applications. God's delay uh, in keeping his promise, in realizing his promise, is not a failure to keep his promise. Delays do not indicate that God is not keeping his promise. At least 25 long years elapsed between God's first promise to Abraham 
of a, the birth of a son and the birth of Isaac. 25 years he waited. Did God not keep his promise because there was a delay? About 400 years were to be spent by the chosen seed in bondage there in Egypt before they were delivered and before they took possession of the promised land. And then even after they were delivered, there was a 40-year period of time in which they wandered in the wilderness due to, again, their, their rebellion against the Lord. But from a human perspective, it was one seeming delay after another. It was waiting and waiting and more waiting. Yet God was faithful all the time of the delay, all the time of waiting. God was faithful, ever faithful. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, though the fulfillment of the vision, the promise that is made in the vision, though it tarry, though it wait, wait for it, God says because it will surely come. It will not tarry. In other words, it will not be behind according to God's calendar and schedule, even if it means we must wait. God's never behind. God's never a second late in keeping his word and keeping his promises. In fact, delays are God's appointments in our life. They, they are his appointments to stretch us, to stretch and exercise our faith in the promise of God so that we don't walk by sight, so that we don't walk by feelings, so that we don't walk by what we observe by way of the world and circumstances, so that we walk according to the promises of God. That's faith. We can't see the promises of God. We only know that he's made them because he's revealed them to us in his word. So when we pray, and we beseech the Lord for something that is truly, in our judgment, needful, the Lord always responds. Without, without any hesitation, I say, God always responds to our prayers. It may be a no, it may be a yes, or it may be a wait. Wait. Continue to wait. That's a response. God has responded when he calls us to wait. Because God even... And what he gives us and what he doesn't give us and what he calls us to wait for, he always does us good. He's always a good father to us. Matthew 7, 7 verse 11, 
If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Whatever you ask him for, if he doesn't give it, he's good. If he does give it, he's good. If he says, wait, he's good. He does it. Because he is good, he does it for our good. The second application is this. All God's promises in Christ are yea and amen, according to 2 Corinthians 1.20. But that does not mean, dear ones, that we can live in rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ and expect to, re to reap the blessings of his promise any more than Israel could expect to reap God's blessings while living in disobedience. That we learn from the history of Israel. When they were faithful, when they obeyed the Lord, when they trusted him, God blessed them spiritually, ecclesiastically, nationally. But when they disobeyed the Lord, the Lord again brought pestilence, famine, wars, dispersion upon them because those blessings, we can't presume upon those, those promises of God. To presume upon the promises of God is to say God will bless me regardless of what I do. Whether I believe him and trust him, whether I walk in rebellion against him, God will, will still give me the promises. That's not a part of what, how we receive the promises. We receive the promises through trusting him and obeying him. And when we fall, when we sin, repenting, coming back to him, following him with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. That's how the promises are realized, through those means. Otherwise, again, we can live however we want to live and expect God to bless us with heaven and everything associated with it is presumption on our part. That's not what God reveals. So we cannot receive the promises and do not receive them uh, either by uh, presumption. Uh, we can't live in rebellion. But at the same time, dear ones, and this is the last thing I want to leave with you, it is not the strength of your faith or mine by which we cling to the promises. We can have even the, the faith of a mustard seed. And we can say to the mountain, be removed, and it will be cast into the sea. Lord Jesus is telling us it's not the size and the strength of our faith it's in whom our faith is paid, placed is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are you trusting him for your eternal salvation are you trusting in something else don't look at how big your faith is look to whom your faith is placed in whom your faith is placed the Lord Jesus because he is able he is able he is faithful to take even the faith of a mustard seed and to bless it mightily. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. Father in heaven,
Thou art glorious, thou art ever faithful, true. Thy promises, Lord, we cling to, we hope in, we believe. Because thou art, again, a God who keeps thy word. Thank thee, our God, for the promises thou hast given unto us. That, Lord, have no time uh, stamp upon them that we can ever trust in that we can continue to believe in and hope in. Help us, our Lord, to cherish them. Even as we have the example, the promise that has no time stamp placed upon Israel and the land and their restoration, their conversion to thee, that thou wilt bring this to pass in thy good time. So Lord, we pray, help us to see and understand that we cannot claim thy promises and yet live as we want to live. Uh, those promises are realized through our faith and trust and obedience, our repentance, uh, our communion with thee. Lord, we ask that thou would seal these truths to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.